Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. Hey, if you're new here, welcome. Welcome. We're pumped to have you. We actually bought you something. If this is your first time here, uh, we bought you something. And so if you'll fill out the card from the magazine in front of you, stop by Next Steps on your way out, which are those two desks in the lobby. They'll give you a free T-shirt and some info about our church so that you can make uh, an informed decision about whether Lindsay Land East is where God would have you to serve uh, and to worship in the future. And so we're in the midst of this study called Hurdles. Uh, what we've seen so far is that living life as a Christian is not too different from running in a long, long race. Uh, last weekend, last Saturday, uh, one of our very own uh, members here at Lindsay Land East, Daniel Herman, ran in a, a half marathon last Saturday. And I don't know if you remember last Saturday, because uh, it's beautiful, it's springtime now, we're trying not to think about winter, but last Saturday there was ice on the ground, and so he ran a five, he ran a half marathon with ice on the ground, literally said that they were having to watch their step, having to run around patches of ice on the, on the path along the way, and so I couldn't think of a better... Right, like a better way, a better example of what we've been taught, what the Bible speaks of of the Christian life. Like it's not it's not complicated enough just to have to run thirteen point one miles. But like now you've also got to run those and watch for patches of ice. Like that's what the Christian life looks like. I'm on my best day. It's hard enough for me to love Jesus the right way. Then you throw in the distractions and the frustrations and the the things that come up in my life on my worst day. And it's even harder. But this is, this, is, this is the tough race that we've been called to. And so we saw week one, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on anything else. As a good hurdler, he keeps his eye on the finish line. He notices where the hurdles are, but he keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus. We too, we looked at um, how we oftentimes, instead of having our eyes fixed on Jesus, we have our eyes fixed inward. And we're focused more about ourselves and our little circle around us, our friends, our family, we can become consumed with them and forget about our, our global focus that Christ has called us to. And this week, I want to look at times when it's not that our eyes are, our, our eyes are definitely not fixed on Jesus. And they're not focused in. Y'all, they're just closed. They're just closed. Our eyes can become closed when we experience fear and anxiety and our race is halted. When I was in college, I took a business communications class at UAH. The only speech I remember giving um, was, I can't remember what she called it, but it was like an eight to ten minute research speech, something like that. Um, and so as somebody who used to get really, really nervous to stand in front of a group and try to talk, um, I, I chose to do it on speech anxiety, okay? So I did a ton of research. I got prepared. And I started off with a visual that confused my professor. Um, I got behind the podium. I don't know any other way to do it other than to just show you what I did. Okay? So I walked up behind the podium, and she said, go ahead, go ahead whenever you're ready. And I said, my name is Heath Haney. And um, And I just like milked it like for past the point of like <laughs> that I should have, like I kept it going a little bit and you could just see it was silent. They didn't laugh at me like y'all did weirdos, <laughs> but like they, they, no one had a clue what I was doing because they didn't know the topic of my speech yet. And so then I, I was like, I, it looked like I was about to pass out. 
um, I almost got tickled, so I so I had to get down behind the podium and I like put my head between my legs like this, and I just breathed really really heavily. Anyway, and then I stood up and said, uh, after about forty five, the longest forty five seconds ever, um, I stood up straight and said, "What you just seen is an example of the effects of speech anxiety," which is what I want to talk to you about today. And I just dove right into it, and then they laughed. Um, those that were paying attention, except the professor. Uh, when I got my report, my written part of my report back, she wrote on there, good recovery, I'm proud of you. <laughs> anyway, maybe I have a future as an awkward actor because I fooled her. But it's been since 2008 that I've researched anxiety to any kind of significant level. But this week, I feel like I've read more about anxiety and, and all these different types of mental illness than, than I thought I ever would And because I wanted to be try to be as informed as possible. And so uh, what I have researched this week has informed what I want um, to talk to you about today from the Word of God. Uh, and I want you to know this before we dive in. I cannot give you a one-size-fits-all remedy for anxiety from the Bible because I don't believe that's the task of the Bible. Anxiety most certainly can have a spiritual aspect. Uh, we're going to talk about that some, that there's a spiritual aspect to our anxiety um, in which we can often be lacking a trust in God. We're overwhelmed with certain things because we lack a trust in God. However, a lot of anxiety also has a psychological aspect, which comes from things like PTSD. It has a biological aspect, right, which is a her, her, their hereditary things that cause anxiety that, that are out of our control. We have a medical aspect uh, that deals with a serious imbalance of certain electrolytes. And then there's a pharmaceutical aspect coming from the side effects of certain medications. Anxiety is a bigger thing than we often give it credit for. So I could stand here and tell you that if you have anxiety, it's because you lack faith. And I might be speaking to a, actually a rather small minority of people today. And the church for a long time has told you, if you struggle with anxiety, that you just need to have more faith. And I think we actually aligned ourselves more with the lies of the devil in that statement than with the Word of God. And so today, I just want to show you what I believe the Bible says about anxiety. Um, because one of the things we talk with our kids often is that we're often afraid of things because we're on a, we're, we don't understand them. My daughter had a deathly fear of bees. Bees. She was convinced bees hated her and they wanted to take her down. <laughs> that they were some sort of kamikaze, like just attack things. But we saw, I sat down with Kenny and Monica, who are apiarists, um, and they, they're, they take care of bees. Um, but I sat down with them and I said, tell me about bees so I can communicate this. And so Kelly sat down with Elsie Joe and she talked to her about bees and what they do. And we watched the bee movie, which then Kenny said was not a good example of what bees really are. <laughs> but it kind of helped, okay, uh, talking bees, whatever. Um, but, for her, but the more she understood about bees, she began to fear them less. And I, I believe today what I want to do is to help you understand the origins of anxiety. I want to help you understand the methods of anxiety. And I want to tell you about the future of anxiety, okay? And it's not going to be uh, some super deep, over-the-top, uh, tons of things you've never heard of today, but I want to tell you what I believe God's Word says for us today. So let me uh, ask God to give us clarity for today um, as we study His Word and that God would guide my heart, my mind, and my mouth 
as we go through this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that um, that in your goodness, um, God, you have uh, you've created mankind, God, to be in a perfect relationship with you and a perfect relationship with one another. And uh, God, sin ruins so many things for us. And God, today as we talk about uh, one of the things that plagues so many people, um, God, maybe uh, a large majority of this room, God, I pray that you would help us to see um, the things that I believe your word speaks to. And God, help us today to understand anxiety better, God, so that we know um, how to handle handle it. And God, that we're not so fearful of this fear. And so, Father, I got to pray today that in the midst of all of this, God, that uh, that you would teach us to know you and that you would be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump right in. Uh, point number one is this, the origins of anxiety. That's what we're going to talk about first, the origins of anxiety. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. It's really hard for me to talk about the origins of anything without going to Genesis chapter 1. Um, Genesis 1 through 3. So that's where we're going to be to kind of start off, but uh, let's do some work. Uh, to get where we want to go. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. That's where we see. From this point, what we see in the book of Genesis and the rest of chapter 1 is a six-day picture of God creating every single piece of the world. He creates the light Sky, land, and plants, sun, moon, stars, fish, and birds, the land animals, and finally human beings on day six, along with those land animals. And after he creates all these things, we see this in Genesis 1, 31. God saw all that he had made, all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Everything that God had made was very good good indeed. Man was placed in a garden to care for it, to rule over creation alongside God. And church, there is no evidence that feelings like anxiety are present here in the garden at this point. But everything changes with a dumb little creature. A dumb little creature. The creature comes, we call him the serpent, comes to man and woman and begins to speak with them. And it's here that humanity begins to experience something that God never intended us to experience. So I want to look at it together. Now, as I read, put yourself into the woman's shoes. Do your best to feel what she feels. Think about the moments that would have brought anxiety to your heart if you were her. Let's look at Genesis 3, 1 through 7 here. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, Don't eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
And we think about at what moment did anxiety begin in her heart. Most of you would say the moment a snake shows up. Amen? Because some of y'all may like them. I don't. But we don't gather that the snake coming up and even the snake talking, which would have created some level of anxiety for her as well. But we don't believe that any of that, that she was caught off guard by it again. Um, that's, that's not what's going on. The text does not draw our eye there. So let's set that aside. Where does man and woman begin to experience anxiety? If it's possible for them to experience before sin, and I don't know necessarily that we get that answer from the Bible, but I believe the first place that anxiety would have existed for us in this moment would have been verses 4 and 5. Here we see that man and woman have had a relationship with God. They've literally been walking with God. Their worldview is fully centered on God's love for them and their role in the garden. And with one cunning comment, one little word, all of that is called into question. The very foundation of what they believe. The serpent tells the woman, God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because you'll be like him. You'll be like him. God doesn't want you to have the same power and the same the same authority that he does. He doesn't want what is best for you. Take it for yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a crisis of faith like this in my life. A question, thoughts, comments, something I read in a book, something I read on a blog post that caused me to doubt the very basis of what I believe. I've experienced that. And you know what word I used to describe the feeling I had in that moment? <laughs> Anxiety. When, the, when, the, when, the, feet, when the, the very foundation on which you stand is crumbling. It's not the same feeling I got when my seven-year-old told me that there were no longer nine planets in our solar system. It was a tough day. But then she told me that they replaced a planet with an ocean because now we have five of those. So everybody my age, did y'all know that? We, have, we traded a planet for an ocean now. Pluto for the Southern Ocean. So you can research that later. But this is a strange trade-off. I had feelings about that, but those were not feelings. Of course, that was a, that was a superfluous uh, thing that was crumbling there. It was not the, the foundation. It wasn't, it wasn't that I... It, wasn't, it didn't create in me a feeling like I had when I began to wrestle with, does God even exist? And then, does God actually love me? Like that's a deep down in your gut kind of fear that overshadows all your thoughts and all your actions all day. And if the woman could feel this way before sin, this is how she feels in this moment. She feels the weight of such a heavy accusation against the one she believed was for her. But this is what I want you to notice. This is if she felt this way, this is not her sin. Okay, you've got to notice that experiencing anxiety, even to the depth of doubting the God who created you is not the sin. Throughout the rest of the biblical narrative, it is clear that the first action of sin was her acting on that anxiety to take the fruit, believing the lie that she was being sold. And so if you're suffering from anxiety on on somewhat regular basis or even just in a not on a regular basis, you need to hear this. Your anxiety is not the sin. 
Your anxiety is a precursor to sin. Your anxiety can oftentimes lead you down a path of sin. And if you've, if you've, if you've lived with anxiety, I, it would probably not take you long to think of a time when you were experiencing anxiety at some level and it, led you, it opened up a path for you, a different way of thinking, and you went down that path and it led to sin. Oftentimes anxiety will lead us, just as it did for Adam and Eve, to a place of disobedience. But it is in itself not the sin. So Adam and Eve take the fruit and they eat it. And what happens after? Immediately after, they experience shame and guilt. Shame and guilt. Now, you can, you can do a Google search for yourself. Type in shame, guilt, anxiety. And you will find tons of and tons of articles that especially have been written in the last five years where scientists are beginning to, dis, uh, to, to, to dive into this idea of what role does shame and guilt play in anxiety, especially anxiety disorders. And I was shocked the fact that there were so many studies because they could have just asked me. Right? Like if you've experienced shame and guilt in your life, like you know these things are tied together. I could have proved it without a study. When we're experiencing shame and guilt, especially at a heavy level, there is an anxiety that can oftentimes come over us. And what we're seeing in Genesis 3 is that anxiety is this precursor for sin, but it can also be a reaction to it on the back end. Once we sin, we get this, this feeling and this, this overwhelmed feeling of shame and guilt that can oftentimes ride for a while. Once this, this first sin occurs in the Bible, we find out that many things were brought into God's very good indeed world that were not intended for us. Death being the first one, disease, disaster. And I think I can very clearly say that anxiety and anxiety disorders did not exist before the fall in the way that we experience them today. Post-traumatic stress disorder, panic disorders, all types of phobia, social anxiety, and separation anxiety were not in the world. Sin brought those things in alongside cancer, heart disease, viruses, and death. This means that sin is the true origin of the anxiety we experience today. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you suffer from anxiety or especially an anxiety disorder, that there's a particular sin that you committed that God said, ah, gotcha, and he shocked you with it. He punished you. Look, look, and, but that's the way oftentimes people feel. If, you're suffer, if you have an anxiety disorder, that's how you feel. You feel that it's some sort of punishment from God. I would never say, I would never say that somebody who has cancer. You know why you've got cancer? Because you sinned in some way and God went, and shocked you with cancer. But yet that's how so many people feel. When we say that sin brought these things into the world, what we mean is that the sin of our ancient ancestors brought these awful things to all of mankind. Paul says in the book of Romans, one man's sin brought death to all mankind. So you do not experience severe anxiety because you are a sinner. You experience it because you are part of a broken and sinful world. This broken and sinful world that all of us experience some aspects of. And just like Adam and Eve, just like Adam and Eve, 
Those who struggle with anxiety often have the tendency to run and hide. To run and hide. So we see Adam and Eve do. They try to run and hide and they try to fix their own problem by making little skirts for themselves. Instead of sharing their problems, going to the one who might, who could have fixed their problem. This reaction, I believe, and what's so shocking to me, and, and just as I talk with people who are suffering from anxiety this week, this reaction is somewhat unique to these types of problems. When someone in our church suffers from cancer, they often tell the church and ask them for prayer. When someone suffers, it's got a major surgery coming up. We got a call this week from man. Y'all pray for Don Smith. He's having a, he's having heart surgery coming up. He called us to let us know that. Why? Because he wanted us to pray for him. But when someone is suffering with anxiety-related issues, they feel some level of shame about it, and they don't often share it with anyone, let alone their church family. So I need to remind you that your anxiety is not a sin. It's not something to be ashamed of. Anxiety is not a sin. It's only what you do in response to it that leads to sin. And I beg you, don't be ashamed of your struggle. If you struggle with this, I'm not, ask, I'm not saying go get on your phone right now and post it on your Facebook wall, right? I'm not asking that. I'm not asking you to come up during announcements and confess it before your church family. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm simply asking you to entrust your struggle with someone who will pray for you when you need it. Whether that's a one person like a best friend or whether it's your small group here at East, whatever the case, please share that with others. And I'll also say, if your anxiety is leading to a place that is causing you difficulty in functioning on a daily basis, I would encourage you to talk to a medical professional about that. Because again, anxiety is not just a spiritual battle. It is a very real physical condition. This is the origin of anxiety as we see it in God's Word. But to understand anxiety, we don't just look at the origin. We need to look at the methods of anxiety. The methods. When we look back at Genesis 3, we see that anxiety is being used to perpetuate a lie. And this is how often anxiety works. Anxiety wants to cause you to call into question what is truth. Anxiety wants you to believe a lie. Anxiety tells you things that are not true to cover up other truths. And if we know that, then we can combat that to a certain degree. We can call out the lies that we are being sold and we can cling to truth. This is what some in the medical and psychological world call exposure. We're exposing the lies that anxiety is telling us and reminding ourselves of truth. I found a... a, a, a it was not a Christian website, not a biblically-based website at all, just a psychological website that listed the 12 most common lies that anxiety is selling you on. So I want to look at some of those because what I was shocked by is that the Bible speaks to every one of them. The truths of God's Word combat this. And what does that tell me? What that tells me is that this, this very real physical and spiritual thing that came into the world through our sin wants us to doubt the Word of God. And so, I just picked out a few of these. I think it's five, because y'all don't want to, it would take us a while to go through all of them. 
Because it's not just seeing the lie, it's recognizing the truth that the lie is covering up. And so as I go through these, if you suffer from anxiety at some level, then you may resonate with some of these lies that, that flood your mind. So I want to, if you struggle with one, just take note of the biblical truth that, that we're going to use to combat those today. Anxiety tells us that worrying changes things. Wor- anxiety wants you to believe that your worrying is a good thing. It's, it's, helping you, uh, it's helping you solve problems. But God says this, worrying hurts us. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Paul says in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When anxiety convinces you that your worrying is doing something good for you, remember that God has not built you to worry, but built you for peace and rest. And we go to him in prayer. Anxiety sells us another lie that your past continues today. That all the things that you did, everybody knows it. I know what you did last summer. Y'all remember that movie? It's a weird movie to mention. I bet there's very few pastors today that that are using <laughs> I know what you did last summer as a... Y'all are a special place. But right, like the anxiety just wants you to think that all of your past mistakes, all the things that you did, they're still present. You wear them on your shoulder. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows what you did. But God says, I have forgiven you. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your past is just that, past. Do not let your anxiety convince you otherwise. Anxiety says not only is the past present, but the future. You need to worry about the future right now. It's happening right now. You need to get ready. God says this, don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus says those exact words, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has got enough trouble of its own. Paul says in Romans 8, to those of us who who are in Christ, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. What that means is that we can have peace about the future, no matter what it holds, because God is in control. As we see battles and wars overseas we do not have to fear the outcome of those things and where those things may lead because god is in control and he has a plan and he has a good for us who are in christ we can have peace as believers anxiety says you're not good enough and everybody knows it God says, I love you. Peter says this in his first letter. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Paul says in Romans 5 eight, But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were at our worst, 
while we were at the worst that anxiety is trying to convince you are still in, Christ died for you. While we were still sinners, in the moments when you feel inadequate, when anxiety is telling you that you are unfit, remember that the God of all creation, who is perfect and doesn't owe us his love, loves you anyway. And lastly, the last thing, the lie, anxiety says, you are alone. You are alone in your shame and in your anxiety, and no one understands. God says this, I will never leave you. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. And Paul says, again, in Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What does that sound like? Sounds like things to fear to me. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When your anxiety is trying to convince you that you are totally alone and that in your anxiety you do not deserve God's love, remember that you have a God who will never let you out of his reach. And listen, as I told you at the beginning, I'm not giving you these things because they are the antidote for anxiety. Okay? It's not what is happening here. Some of you experience an anxiety that goes beyond a strictly spiritual anxiety. I talked with people this week who, take a, who have to take a pill or go to counseling for their anxiety. And what one of them told me was, every time I take a pill, I'm reminded of the brokenness of my world. And I ask God to heal me of my anxiety, but I take my pill. <laughs> to offset the physical side effects of what they have going on. It's not a lack of faith to take help from the medical world. No matter the root of your anxiety, no matter whether it comes from any of those physical sides or whether it's just a spiritual lack of trust, we need to, when we are feeling anxious, remind ourselves of these truths. We need to be reminded of God's character and His promises during these times. And I'll say, if doing these exercises with an honest and real heart does not help your anxiety when it comes on, I would talk with your doctor or a counselor. You may have more going on than just a spiritual anxiety. Don't be ashamed to ask for help. There are many here in this church family who have taken that step to get help, and none of them regret it. And I want to end on the best news of the day here. Number three, if you're taking notes, the future of anxiety. Once we get through Genesis 3, the story doesn't get better. Mankind spirals out of control over and over. God calls up specific men and women to follow him, to be a lot to the rest of creation, but they either fall themselves and turn their back on God or they're ignored by everyone else. Even when God sends his own son into the world <laughs> to be a lot, it doesn't go well. It ends in his death and rejection. But there's something really significant about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. We often talk about how we one day will all die and in a spiritual sense will be raised up and will be in the presence of God as believers forever. 
But what you what we don't talk often enough about is that our resurrection is not just a spiritual one. There is a physical aspect coming for that spiritual reality. Just as our sins, our spiritual sins were removed from us in Christ's death and resurrection, so one day, not just sin, but disease, death, and disaster will be put to an eternal death. And all of creation will be raised up to live without the evil of those things forever. Some of you need to hear that today. That your anxiety is not forever. Your PTSD, your bipolar, your depression, your OCD, all of those things will one day be thrown into the hell that they deserve. And we will live in a renewed creation without any of those things. Add to that cancer, heart attacks, blood pressure, high blood sugar. Throw the finger pricking away. It's not needed any longer. This is what we cling to. This is our hope, not some disembodied angel life floating on clouds. Our hope is in a real restoration of all of creation that will occur one day and that we will experience life as God intended it, no longer confined to a garden. But the whole cosmos will be ours to rule and reign over the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the field. Perfect relationship with God. Perfect relationship with man. Church, this is our hope. Take heart, those of you who suffer from anxiety, it is not forever. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, this is what awaits us. However, if you have not trusted in Jesus, this hope is not yours yet. In fact, the Bible says that the only thing you can hope in are the good, tiny glimpses of hope you can get on earth. You're going to live your life trying to find hope in a broken world and it will be miserable. But today the Bible says that there is a way for you to trust fully in Jesus' death and resurrection as the only one who can restore your relationship with God. And you can be saved today and you can have this hope that I just talked about. And I, we would love to talk with you. In fact, that's why I stand on this front row during the last song. And we put volunteers by our back door who want to talk with you and help you wrestle with how you can trust in Christ. So we're going to sing, hear a song in just a moment. And I'm going to be up front on this front row. And we'll have volunteers by the back door. But to the rest of us, to the rest of us, life here on earth, the understatement of the message right here, Life on earth stinks sometimes. It stinks sometimes. It's going to be hard because the world we are in is broken by the sin of humanity. But there is a day coming when all of that will change. And as I told the first service, I have a Ric Flair, woo, right here. But I didn't want to just do it and catch you off guard. So I warned you about it. But it does, it fires me up to think that all of these things that make life bad today will not be there. 
If you're here today, you probably experience some level of anxiety, but some of you experience in more of a realm that would be considered a disorder. But for all of us, we need to understand the origins of anxiety. We need to understand its methods, and we need to know its future. And so today, if you need prayer to ask God, you need to ask God to help you open up to someone about your anxiety, use this last song to do that. You can, if you need to spend time exposing the, exposing the lies of your anxiety through prayer today, you can pray those right where you are. You can come up to this altar and know that your church family is praying for you as well. If you need to worship God today with a renewed passion, as I plan to do because of the hope that we have been reminded of, then do that today. If you need to talk with me or one of our volunteers, I'll be up front. We'll have volunteers by the back door as well. But I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we're just going to stand, and you can respond however God leads you to, okay? Whether through worship, through prayer, or through talking with a counselor, okay? Father, we thank you, God, for the way that in your word, God, you promise us a hope is so much greater, God, than what we could ever experience apart from you. And God, I'm thankful, God, that earlier in my life, you saved me from my sins, and God, you gave me a hope that doesn't just involve a lack of sin, but God, it involves no death, no disease, and God, no anxiety. Father, I thank you that one day I'll get to experience that. And God, this side, it stinks and it's tough. And God, I pray for the strength to get through all that we're facing. But God, you have a plan and God, just help us to trust you with it. God, today I pray that uh, people that call Lindsay Lane East home, the Christians, God, who are here today, God, that we leave this place, God, just better understanding one of our enemies. And God, that uh, we get the help that we need, whether from your spirit in us, from your word, or God, even from a medical professional, God, in the days to come. Because, God, you want us to experience life. You want to you give us a taste of life here on this earth. That's the hope to come. Father, we trust you with all this, and we ask you to speak today. Move in our hearts to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you stand. Respond however God